Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for joining us on this episode, uh, one where we're going to go back to story, but also with one who is a familiar face at uh, Grace Story Conference, if you've ever been there. Uh, her name is Sue Bowles. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about her, and then we're going to invite her into the conversation. Sue Bowles is a survivor turned author, speaker, and master certified life coach. Having done the hard work of healing from a childhood rape and eating disorder, other sexual assaults, and being twice suicidal, Sue now defines the effect the life-altering events have on her. The events no longer define Sue. Instead, she defines them. Sue leads My Step Ahead, an organization committed to breaking the stigma around mental health struggles. You only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you is the bedrock value Sue brings. She helps stuck people get unstuck by discovering hope, journeying together for the next step ahead. Whether speaking on a podcast, a stage, or one-on-one, Sue's enthusiasm is contagious, shining the light of hope wherever the listener needs, cheering them to see their dreams become present reality. Sue has a book. It's an award-winning book. Uh, the first one is This Much I Know, The Space Between. It's available on Amazon and Kindle, and we have her here on Grace Story Podcast today. Sue, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nate. been looking forward to this. Absolutely. And, you know, I read through that and I, I did it with gusto, I'm sure, but people hear that and they start hearing some of those life experiences and think, whoa. <laughs> Whoa, like maybe one or two of those, but you start thinking about all those things wrapped together. And uh, I, maybe you're not supposed to be a, a, a certified coach or where you're at in life because of those obstacles. Where is your inspiration and courage come from to share such uh, life shattering events with others? That's a good question, because I spent a lot of time being hacked off at God. I spent a lot of time angry at God is like you said, any one of those things is a lot for a life and all of them came my way. And, and I was like, why, why me? So it's, it's, it's taken a, it's been quite a journey to get where I am now, but the inspiration to, to do what I do now is simply so I can be to others, what others were for me. All of us need someone who sees something in them that we can't see ourselves. And, and I have, I was surrounded by some people who were that for me that kept believing in me and speaking truth to me when all I was believing were the lies. And over time, that love, that truth was able to seep in through the crevices and get down to where it needed to be to totally recreate me. Well, it's interesting because sometimes uh, you have to be the person uh, that you wanted others to be for you along the way. Sometimes that person doesn't exist uh, wherever you go. They may have been in another state or another part of the country, uh, but where you're at now, maybe that person doesn't exist for others. Uh, you brought up uh, an interesting topic there right off the bat uh, that Ryan kind of referenced in in one of our episodes. I think it was episode 54 our episode 55, where we talked about some, some sexual abuse issues. Mm -hmm. um, and he mentioned that there may be those that ask the question, where was God in the middle of my suffering? Oh yeah. Um, and wrestling with that. 
And if this is too much, please, you know, back me no, off. But we're, we're good. We're good. Did you ever ask that question? And how did you answer it? Were you able to find an answer for you? I Yes. Did I ask that question? Yes. Did my counselor and I spend many a session pounding that one out? Oh, yeah. And those were hard conversations uh, because that's where the anger came out. That's where, yeah, I mean, I, I was, to say hacked off is minor. I was fuming. I was livid because I felt like God abandoned me. Mm. If God loved me, why did he let that happen? That was the, where that was my mindset. And, and, and where, through my journey of healing, where I have landed with it is that God was there. And it happened mm. because we live in a fallen world and my rapist was acting on humanness and in that fallen world status. And I was a victim of that. Yes. God knew what was happening. And, and I don't want to get too much into the theology and sure. muddy the waters, <laughs> um, but you know, God knew what was happening and he saw it and his heart broke not only for me, but it also broke for my rapist. Hmm. And that took a long time for me to see it that way. Because if all of us are created in God's image, then Bobby, the boy who raped me, is also created in God's image. So God's heart was breaking for two that day. One who had fallen into, into the, the, the human condition of, of, of being, being sinful, and one who was who, who was victim of that sinfulness. God's heart broke both those days for, for both of us that day. And yet he waited for me and he was ready to hug me because I was still his kid the same way Bobby was, but we chose different paths. Wow. We, there's a lot there. And, and I want to come back to the, the emotions of that. And even, you know, you're, you're saying a name with your perpetrator, which we don't normally have. Uh, even saying the names of perpetrators can be just flat out triggering, shut down individuals. So before we jump into, and I'm going to come back to that, uh, before we jump into some of those emotions and those stages of healing that, that you went through, um, can you take us back to where your story begins? What, whatever uh, point you like to jump off of to share um, maybe what is relevant to uh, what made you move towards a healing journey. Sure. And, and I probably should have done this. We jumped right in. We went right to the deep end. Sure, yeah. Um, and, 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 and it might be a little late, but let me give a trigger warning anyway. So, um, you know, what I am going to share has to do with childhood sexual assault, um, being suicidal and depression and eating disorders. So if it's not too late, if any of those are triggering for any of your listeners, please have a self-care plan in place. I never want my story to do harm and I don't share it to hurt anyone. So I want to put that out there before we go any deeper. Um, having said that, my story, what we're referring to was when I was seven years old in first grade, a classmate enticed me into the woods after school one day and he held me against my will for 45 minutes. And as I finally started working through it with Amanda, who's my counselor, I came to realize and own that it was a multiple rape situation. It was not just once. Um, and that I hadn't, I hadn't really hadn't made that connection until she and I were working it through. 
Bobby's last words to me put me in prison, and I didn't know it until know it for quite some time. His words, he left one end of the woods, and I went out the other when my mom came looking for me. And his words were, don't tell anybody. And unfortunately, I didn't. It became a 15-year secret that I didn't know needed to come out. It came out my senior year of college to my dean of students, probably a couple months before I graduated. In the course of that time, you know, your listeners are, are well acquainted, unfortunately, with trauma and the, the, some of the science behind trauma. And they know that trauma literally rewires your brain. Yes. So I was seven years old and my brain was rewired right when it was starting to develop. So I did not have a chance to be a normal kid. From the get-go, out of the starting blocks, I was learning how to survive and protect myself. And for me, that form took of, of, of being frozen. I say my emotions were frozen in time. And the longer you're in the ice box, the thicker the ice gets. So by the time I go from seven to 22, there's a whole lot of frost on top of my emotions because I had my regular childhood, which wasn't regular, um, preteen, teenage, high school, which all of us know is a has its own, its own roller coaster uh, of emotions, event, shall we yeah. say. <laughs> and then you throw in college, which is already a hotbed of stress. Mm. So I, I use the word I was troubled. I, I did not know my worth. I did not know my value. I did not feel worthy. I didn't feel like I mattered. I was looking for reassurance and validation at in any way I could. For me, one of the ways it played out was being over-involved because if I was busy and I was seen, then someone knew that I ma- knew that I existed and I felt like I mattered. In terms of the emotions, the eating disorder took root, kind of started in high school, but really took root in college. Because again, think you've got over a decade of your brain not processing things correctly. By the time you, I got to college, and I think it was either junior or senior year, I don't remember when, when my brain, I had painted the picture. I had worn a mask all this time, painting the picture that Sue was good. Sue was strong. Nothing wrong with Sue. Sue's the strong one. No problems. You can go to her. She'll get it done. And I was literally dying on the inside. And so in the dining hall, I went to a small college in Northwest Ohio called Defiance College. We had one dining hall and I may have enjoyed another serving of food. And at some point in time, my brain freaked out and I got very uncomfortable in that setting because my brain started interpreting it that if I went up for more food and here are the generalizations in quotes, everyone would know that that I was a fake, that I was a farce and I'd be found out because everybody would know that Sue had a need and God forbid Sue have a need because she wore the mask all those years that she didn't because I didn't know how to reach out to get my needs met. So I learned to shut off my hunger. I dumped my tray and I got out of Dodge and I started snacking to curb my hunger. The eating disorder I am in recovery from is called OSFED, which which is other specified feeding and eating disorder. That means I don't meet the diagnostic criteria for any of the major other eating disorders, yet I have disordered eating. Um, I was very unhealthy. Um, I am now recovered and, and very thankful for that, but I didn't even own that part of my story till about 2016. So it's been 
the healing has just been in the last seven and a half to eight years. Um, God tends to accelerate things. Well, it's interesting that even in the specification for the labeling of of the disorder, uh, you get relegated to a other category. Yeah. <laughs> As if the irony there is not lost. Like, oh, okay, well, I'm just, okay, yeah, I'm other. I, I get yeah, that. Yeah, I'm other. Again, I don't matter. <laughs> yeah. Well, and some of those, <laughs> some of those things you adapt, you, you, you did as a child to adapt as a protective mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure people looked in and maybe thought some of those things were good attributes for you, you know, being involved, oh yeah, uh, being the helper, being uh, someone who wanted to be liked. All those things are, are good things. Um, it, if someone's looking in and seeing good in you and you're able to hide like that, uh, what was that catalyst that finally found you offering up your story to someone? Great question. Um, in 2014, I started dealing with the rape. I've been with my, my counselor's Amanda. I've been with her since 2008. So we are about raised, ready to mark 14 years. Wow. And, and but well, that's longer married. than some marriages. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am very blessed. She, she's a, she's a strong Christian who specializes in trauma and eating disorders Excellent. and sexual assault. And it's it, it just a perfect match. Um, but what, with the catalyst to it all, when I walked in her office, um, what started was that in 2005, I lost a dear friend. Three years later, I was grieving her as if it was yesterday. Mm. And my red flags for my eating disorder started coming up. So I talked to my pastor who was aware of the situation. It was actually his wife who had passed away. And he ultimately got me connected with Amanda. My red flags were coming up and, and it was, it was one of those, and I'd gone through a time period where everything was fine. So I connected with Amanda and after about two or three sessions, I looked at her and said, what do you think it is? Why is it coming back? And she said, I think it's just a bunch of unresolved issues. And I had been through enough and in and out of counseling all along. I was like, I looked at her and said, if we're going to do this, I am not quitting until it's done. I am not doing this again. Because up to then it had been good enough and then back off and everything's good for a few years. But then you know, you might dug down, but it's not deep enough. And then it starts coming back up again. And, and I got tired of it. I'm like, I, I'm done with this. Either, either something changes or I'm not going to be on this earth. One, it, it's, it's getting to that point. It's one or the other. And um, we got to work. But even then, she, you know, she, she and I, we, we have a fantastic relationship. And we can talk very directly. We have since said, she has since said that we had to get me stronger in the present before we could go back to the past. I had a lot of boundary issues. I didn't know how to set up. I didn't know what a boundary was. They scared the daylights out of me and I let everybody walk all over me. I didn't know how to stand up for myself. I didn't know how to communicate because think back to when I was seven years old. I didn't know what to say then. I was shut down then and that's just how I learned to live. But at some point in time, what, what helped you survive at a young age becomes a detriment as you get older. And that I was just getting to that point. So when we hit 2014, there was a movie that came out called Ragamuffin. And it was based on the life, you're smiling, uh, it's based on the life of Rich Mullins. And um, it was a very hard watch the first 20 minutes. I did a lot of, uh, just got something in my eye, mom, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, because again, up to this point in time, I had the mask on. Nobody knows anything was really going on with Sue. And um over the course of that 
you know, from January when I saw the movie to about August, you know, they were, I saw a number of times and every time I got something else out of it and God was kind of starting to chip away. It was coincided with when I was work, dealing with the rape for the first time with my counselor over four decades after it happened, I'm finally getting into it. And when they came out and said they wanted to do a retreat about the themes of the movie, kind of felt like I wanted to go, but I was supposed to go to Nashville to see friends I hadn't seen in a long time. So I was like a push me, pull you for a while. And I was avoiding what God wanted me to do. Um, in essence, being disobedient. If you, want to, if you want to cut to the chase, that's what it was. And um, finally I relented and I signed up. And one of the catalysts to it all was my brother, Scott. During this time from uh, February, 2013 to August, 2014, he was serving 18 months in prison for a drunk driving accident that he took ownership for. He was sober a year before he went into prison. And he was the first to tell you that God had to send him to prison to save him from himself. Wow. Um, yeah. So I'm super proud of him. So when he got home, he uh, saw some friends in town and, and, and they said, man, I haven't seen you for a while. Where have you been? And just boldly and unashamedly said, in prison. And when he told me that, I was convicted. If anyone had any inkling of a reason to have shame in their story, to put on a mask, to tell a lie, to not tell the full truth. To me, my brother had it. He just survived 18 months in prison. He was in security and, and, and God just took care of all kinds of cool things there. Lots of cool stories. So that really convicted me. So I still remember sitting in Amanda's office when I finally agreed to go to this retreat. And I looked at her and said, I just want to be authentic. Mm. Get me ready. And we had six weeks of dealing with my anxiety and my fear and what it meant to be authentic so that I could set the groundwork to go there and experience whatever God, for whatever reason, God was pulling me there. And that is what started my healing journey. And then, you know, the, the, a lot of the healing got amped up during those retreats. Um, and, and we can get into that. But in terms of what was the catalyst, it was kind of all building up. And when I was dealing with the rape and then that whole thing about I was in prison came up it that just really it was just God saying it's time Sue it's your time now it sounds like what some people may may uh, see as just regular life coincidence um, you've seen the through line of, of God and seen the fingerprints of God moving you to yeah. the point where you need to be to accept some help um, you know, as an alumnus of Defiant University. <laughs> so it is Defiant officially. <laughs> so, so we we worked through through some of your story there and, and you mentioned a big emotion that I want to go back to mm -hmm. that some may say is is not an emotion some people should have or or you know it's it's some people call it a sin or or whatever, which mm -hmm. I don't believe, but anger. Yep. Uh, this big one and you know, whether that's coming out of, I don't know, I'll leave it to you. Is that a, a, a sense for you need justice or that you're the victim or you want to fight or where does that emotion anger come from in that situation? And then what did it look like for Sue as you worked through that? And maybe some of the other emotions that have come along in your healing journey. Mm. For me, I think the anger is, um, I want to use the word explosion, but not explosive. And what I mean is that for going back to the eating disorder, emotions are not your friend when you have an eating disorder. 
Eating disorders have absolutely nothing to do with food and everything to do with unresolved issues. So going back to seven years old, I was frozen in time, didn't know how to deal with my emotions, communicate for myself. And as you grow, you start seeing things and you start realizing something's not right, but you don't still, I still didn't know what to do with it. So I kind of had a war going on inside myself and I still experience that periodically, not periodically, once in a while, but it, where I feel like there's this thing I need to get it out, but I don't know how. And, and, and that tension just starts to blood, you know, to build. And for me in particular, it, the, the the anchor towards God became because I felt like he abandoned me because God wasn't lining up with my expectations. But right then I took him off the throne. When you really boil that down, if we're asking God to line up with our expectations, we have not allowed him to be God because he's not supposed to be the one that moves. We're supposed to be the one that moves but because I had that all backwards, that's where that anger came out even more because it was like the one person that's supposed to be on my side wasn't on my side. So now what am I supposed to do? Well, it's interesting to me when people, like, they, they kind of say it's not okay to get angry with God. Um, it's not okay to be angry uh, when, when, when you at God himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, God is big enough for any emotion we have, sadness, happiness, elation, whatever, you know, those may be. Anger is one of those things. And man, their God must be so small if he can't handle the anger that he already knows you're experiencing. Uh, And your relationship has to be intimate enough that you can share whatever with God. Um, so as you're moving through the, that anger and you're, you're defining it and you're trying to understand it and control it and being honest with God, what did your relationship look like with God through that? Um, like, are you working through that with your therapist as well? Because, I mean, there's so much there to unpack of who God was during the the event that started all this at the age of seven, who he was along the way, who he is to Sue Bowles now. What did your relationship look like as you're angry with God? Yeah. And, and yeah, we, we, you know, that was a big point of, of, of some of the conversations Amanda and I had was, you know, was you know, where was I store? I have over in my room, I still have the journal entry where, you know, I did a lot of journaling and God, and this, this may sound weird to some people, but this, this, kind of gets to your point as well. God hijacks my journal at times <laughs> and, 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 and he just, starts writing the next thing I know it's literally like God writing a note. And, and, and it was, I still remember it was, I was right there, Sue. I saw everything and I was ready to hold you, you know, and, and just that kind of thing. And, and, but that was part of everything she and I were working through because, you know, I was angry at God. And I, at one point in time, I was one of those who believed I shouldn't be angry at God. God's always right. You know, and, 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 and I, and God is always right. Yes. Sure. And I'm allowed to be angry at God. Not but, and. Well, it's both. Yes, it's really just showing your, your being open and transparent to a God that already knows you. Right. Uh, and he knows that we don't understand everything. My goodness, that we, that would, we are finite and he is infinite. Mm-hmm. Like there, mm-hmm. he is all knowing, he is omniscient and we have our pea brains. 
that we are to glorify him by using. Uh, But, you know, yes, he knows everything about us, uh, having those emotions and also telling him about them. Mm -hmm. It seems like it'd be more in telling him about them and having a conversation instead Mm -hmm. of repressing your anger, having a conversation about it with the one that knows you the most may be more helpful. Did did you find that in your journey? I did. I would, I would just, I would just vomit all over my journal. I was just like, you know, just, it was just that we, that became my release all the way back to when I was suicidal. The the second time I was suicidal was my parents divorce after 34 years of marriage. And there were two thoughts keeping me alive. One of which I could have discarded if I really, really felt like I, like that's where I wanted to go. And that first thought was my, my family did not need to go to my funeral in the middle of the divorce. I was at least rational enough to know that. But the second and greater thing keeping me going was what I call a nagging optimism. There was something that would not let me go and that kept saying, it's going to be okay. You will be okay. Hang in there. And that was my relationship with Christ. So having that from the 90s, I came to Christ in 85 when I was 20, in between my junior and senior years of college. I was 21. So, um, so to have that you know, in your heart and to know that that is pulling you through what up to that point in time has been the worst part of your life that, because, you know, I hadn't really dealt with the rape. So I wouldn't classify that as the worst part because I kind of took that one backside. But, you know, when when mom and dad are divorcing, to have that as the one thing holding me on and and then letting somebody in, I, I, I was on a retreat and it was with a friend of mine named Billy Sprague. His fiance had been killed in a car wreck on the way to surprise him. He was a musician. He was doing a concert and he found out right before he went on stage and then he became suicidal. So a few years later, we reconnected on a ski trip with Canacuck, a sports camp I worked at. And I said, I need to learn from something you've gone through. And we find a time to talk. I said, how do you go on living when all you want to do is die? And we talked and, and, that story is part of the impetus behind my step ahead because his last, it was, when we wound down, he said, that's all I know to tell you, Sue, step by step. So to have all these little snippets of my relationship with Christ kind of acting as signposts along the way, shining a light was helpful by the time I get to the point where we're, we're really digging into the darkness. And um, through all that, even even in all that, there was other stuff going on. And, and yes, the enemy was warring like crazy. And I, when I went to that retreat that first time, I went in calling myself the holy exception. Because we were dealing with the rape, the emotions were on edge and they were coming out because you've got four decades of emotions coming out. And someone with an eating disorder who hates emotions and you're dealing with a life-altering trauma, all at the same time, you're going to have a volcano. So I went in buying the lie that, that, quote unquote, again, generalities, everything in the Bible is good enough for everybody else but me. I'm too screwed up, too far gone, and I'm a waste of space. That I was imploding. And that is the mentality I had in October 2014 going into this retreat. And what God did in those couple days, everything leading up to it, and then that what happened at that retreat was a pivot point for me. And that 
strengthened and deepened my relationship because then all that volcano, it was still there, but it was manageable because I finally let God in. Up to then, I'd still been shadow boxing with him all along, even though it looked good. He didn't have everything he wanted. With with that, so pivot point there, and you've got uh, therapy going on after that. Do you yeah. still do you still go to therapy? Yes, I just met with my counselor last night. So with oh, so okay, exactly. So let's let's talk about that with someone listening in and they they kind of i wanted to make that point because there's someone listening in like okay she's done it i don't think i can go through that and get to the other side uh Mm -hmm. because that that's just too much i get what she's saying completely Mm -hmm. because it's part of what i don't want to go through because i've adapted and i've pushed those i got myself in a good spot where i can also kind of feel when the those events are going to happen where i'm going to need to shut down for a few days and go m.i.a Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Do I like it? No, but I've got it managed, quote unquote, air oh, quotes. I, I hear that loud and clear. I've got it managed. Uh, so talk to two people here for me. Um, the person who is is not wanting to go through it because it's just too much and they, they may think they've got it managed. And the other person who's like, oh, she's still going to therapy there's no hope for any of us. <laughs> she, she's, she seems so like she's got so much going on for her, but then I find out she's still going to therapy. Will it ever end? Um, talk to those two different people, the one at the beginning and the one that's like, Oh, it'll never end. Sure. All right. So to the one who is avoiding it and trying in essence, denying it, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot straight. I'm a shoot I'm a straight shooter, and I'm gonna hit brass tacks here. It is avoidance. If you believe that God is the one that's planting that seed in your heart to deal with it, because in essence, there's a part of your heart that He does not yet have, and you are avoiding it. I said it earlier about myself. It's sin. It's disobedience. That sounds heavy. I understand that. But for me, I for me, I had to look at it that way because if there's one thing, if the, the, the bottom line of anything is our relationship with Christ and living in obedience to him and honoring him. And if if there is that holy dissatisfaction in your life that you still like to push down. That's taking God off the throne and putting yourself on it because you are managing it. You are doing it and you're shutting God out. And that's, he's whispering to you. And maybe he wants to use my words to help whisper again to you. What I would say is this, and this is one of the key things I learned from Amanda. My, one of my favorite things to say for quite a while was it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. She asked me, but that was my, that was my escape. That was me. I don't want to deal with it. And every time she would look at me and say, what you're saying, Sue, is that you don't matter. So when we avoid it, when we are trying to shut God out and in essence, try to manage God and control God, we are not believing that we matter, that we matter to ourselves, that we matter to others and that most of all, we matter to God. 
So what I would say to that person who is trying to avoid and saying, oh, I got it managed, it sneaks up once in a while, I whack it back down like whack-a-mole. Um, I would simply say this, dare to believe that you matter. I dare you to believe because when someone dares you, they're asking you to step out of your comfort zone and do something that maybe you don't believe in, believe that you could do. You're not feeling it, whatever phrase you want to use. But I'm here to tell you as a living, breathing example that Jesus Christ is absolutely crazy about you. And he yearns to spend time with you. And he just wants you to just say, okay, he will take it from there. I know it's scary. Is it hard? Yes. I had times when during the retreats, what I called my sacred moments of release in the first two or three years, because each year was a little different step of the, of the healing journey. And my biggest fear came true. And it was, it was shown to be false. My biggest fear was that I would start to cry and I wouldn't be able to stop. It came true. I cried and I stopped. Because everything that had been pent up finally came out. And that allowed God to come rushing in. And when he came rushing in, the tears slowed and eventually slowed down and stopped that day. I might have been crying for 10 minutes. And honestly, with the retreat and, and the stuff we, we didn't get a chance to discuss yet, um, everybody knew what was going on in my life because I had shared it. I was at that point, I was desperate enough. So to the one who's avoiding it, I would say, I dare you to believe that you matter and that Jesus Christ is absolutely crazy about you. And he just wants to hug you. If you'll just let your arms, instead of hugging yourself, protecting yourself, let him loose and embrace him. And if you want help with that that uh, side of getting things started on that, head on over to GraceStoryMinistries.com. There's a free service, a referral link over there. Ryan Waters, uh, who's been on this show a lot, he will help walk you through that. Uh, and throwing it back to you, Sue, on that one that's, oh, she's still in counseling. She's yeah. still in yes. therapy. Oh, boy. I had had that same thought for quite some time. I was like, <laughs> and I would look at him and, when am I going to be done? When are we going to be done? Give me a timeline. I'm tired of this. When am I going to arrive? When am I going to be healed? When am I not going to struggle anymore? Well, that answer is when I get to heaven. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and, and I say that lightheartedly, but that's what I had to come to the grips with as well. Because, yes, Amanda and I went through a period where we even talked, you know, are, are we to the point that we terminate for a while? You know, my door's always open. Everything seems okay. And yet it was, we kind of went from dealing with past stuff to just helping manage everyday stuff. There is nothing wrong with going to a counselor to help you manage life. All of us have it. Relationships, stress, work, finances, kids, grandkids. You know, what, you know who am I now that I don't have kids and I'm an empty nester? Identity. All of those things are equally important because they are about you. Now, not everyone needs counseling to, to deal with those. Some of us who have had so much going on, um, 
for me, that is, that's my safe place. That is my safe place where I can pound it out. I don't have a lot of people near me where I can be that honest and just be me. That's, that's my hour of self-care a week. That's what it is to me. Now, as things came up, as, you know, as we're dealing with everyday stuff, relationships, I was my mom's caregiver. Mom moved in with me in 1997. And that alone is indicative of the healing, even though it hadn't happened yet, because for a while there, I would say that I was estranged from mom. And that had to do everything with me and absolutely nothing with her. And I own that. But to go from that to then being her caregiver the last eight years of her life, it has been almost 18 months now since mom passed. And I'm getting emotional. <laughs> um, and what I can say is that as we were dealing with just the everyday frustrations of boundaries, communication, figuring out how to balance my life, have some, have, have my time and still care for mom and deal with that, but still pursue what I wanted to pursue. All those were things Amanda and I were talking through as that came up and we were working through those, some other things started coming up and it was God. And it ended up being what I call anticipatory grief because for about a year and a half before mom passed, I started getting like this. I dreaded the day mom wasn't here. I don't like it now, but I'm learning to live with it. I'm learning to limp with style, as Billy Sprague uses the phrase. <laughs> and my, my, my limp's getting more stylish, so that's good. Um, but I say all that to say that, you know, there's nothing wrong with just talking about everyday things. And, and you'll kind of be surprised what God wants to bring up. Because honestly, that anticipatory grief work that Amanda and I did then, helped me so much as I walked mom across her finish line. And, and, and there was that last week in the hospital when she was on a respirator was the most beautiful week of my time with her. And the last few hours of her life, God answered my prayer and gave me a glimpse of what she was going to see. Her, right before her spirit left her body, I got to see my mom raise her head when she'd been motionless for 10 days. And I got to see her raise her arm. And in essence, I got to see God come pick up my mom. All because I was able to do that hard work when I didn't know it needed to be done. Simply because I was talking in my counselor's office about my mom was driving me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that, But that's, that's what I say. So, you know, I don't know. There may be a day where, you know, Amanda and I, you know, terminate. And if something comes up, I know she's going to be the first person I call. Um, but here I am 18 months later and I'm still dealing with the grief and, and, and just talking about it last night and, and it's coming up again. And here I have unrealistic expectations of myself. 18 months should be over it. I'm like, eh, Sue, let yourself off the hook, you know, let yourself off your hook. And then, you know, I know my dad is 89. So now I'm starting to starting to feel some of that anticipatory stuff with my dad. I have two, an aunt and uncle who are both 95. So I know that I have more coming. I, I don't want to leave that, you know, that support system now when I know there's more avalanches coming down the road, but you know, that's not for everybody. I understand that. But to the one who says you're still in counseling. Yeah. 
And it's helping me be who I am now. And it's helping support me because as I branch out into this new freedom, God is, has, has won for me. I'm discovering things about myself that I didn't know. And some of that needs to be pounded out because, you know, one thing right now, who am I now that I'm not my mom's caregiver? You know, that's a whole new identity thing. That's 18 months that we've been pounding that out. You know, just there's so many different things. As I speak, when I get nervous, when I get fearful, when I start believing the lies of I don't have anything to offer, having somebody to have that sounding board makes a huge difference to kind of help me, you know, retrace my steps and get me back online. So there's nothing wrong with seeing a counselor for everyday stuff. It actually makes us healthier. Well, it sounds like you're, you're intent and intentional on uh, investing in yourself and raising your self-awareness, but also that, that emotional IQ that sometimes gets left in the dust. Uh, yeah. and, and you're, you're one that as you talk about that being your safe place, in a place where you can go ahead and put tools in your tool, tool bag mm-hmm. for things you aren't, aren't even experiencing just yet, or you're going through now, whatever right. it may be, mm-hmm. you're, you're one of those that is a safe place for others as a master certified life coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. you're actually on both sides of this. Right. And I want to pivot just a little bit to maybe help us understand because Sue, you have the honor of being the very first master certified life coach on the program. Oh, <laughs> I'll mark this day in history. <laughs> can you can you walk us through what it is you do as a master certified life coach uh, and, and what you would have to offer to someone um, coming in the door to talk to you? Sure. And I appreciate that. Let me, first of all, explain briefly the difference between counseling and coaching. There is a big difference. And um, I am very attentive to that line, Uh, partially because I'm also in counseling. So I want to make sure that I never cross that line. Counseling helps you deal with past stuff to help you resolve it so you can function in the present. Coaching helps you deal with present day stuff to get you where you want to go in the future. So that's the easiest, quick, dirty line way to explain the line. Um, what, What I do as a master certified life coach, I am a hope coach. And what that means is I help my clients cultivate hope. When someone comes to me, they have an inkling of hope that something could be different or they wouldn't be there. And that might be a career change. It might be a relationship. It might be um, finances. It could be communication. It could be any number of things. It could be boundaries. It could be identity. There are you know, some things that I just said you can talk to a counselor for. You can also talk to a coach for. You can be in counseling and be in, in coaching at the same time. I have a client who is in that situation. It actually it actually supports the counseling because it frees up the counseling to keep getting at the past stuff while we help manage the present. And it, it actually supports each other so that you can be dually effective in helping the client get where they want to go faster. Um, just a couple situ- examples. I had a mother-daughter team who came to me during the pandemic, had a major falling out around Christmas, before then ranked their relationship a 10 out of 10, tanked it down to a four out of 10 after their after the fallout. We spent a few different months working on just learning how to listen to each other, communicating, not assuming, and, and hearing what's being said and not jumping the gun. And just what seemed like everyday, you know, basic life skills, but in this situation, all of us have been in it, when the emotions are hot, a lot of the basics go out the window and you need that neutral third party to help both people kind of 
see each other. So when they when they met their goal, felt they met their goal, they said they were back to an eight out of 10 and felt they had the tools to get back where they wanted to go. I'm working with some clients who are right now want to go through a career change. I had, a, had someone out in Nevada who was an architect. All of us are thinking, hey, great. And he's like, I'm tired of pulling permits. He wanted to start, he wanted to start a new career. So we talked about you know, going through that and helping identify what he wanted to do. He wanted to start a landscaping business. I talk a lot about values and, and, and behaviors being being habits being habits becoming behaviors in line with our values. I do a lot with identity issues and, and helping someone understand who am I, what do I value, and how can that then play out? How how can I how can I show myself? You know, career like I said, career change, any number of things, any number of of present life things that will help you be a better person, be the person you want to be, and, and, and get where you think you can't get. All of us have something, I think where it always seems just out of reach. Good, back to what I said before, good enough for somebody else, but I'm not going to get there. That can be a reality. And I get to help see that become reality for people. I love that role because I think there are some that are like, man, I, I love listening to the podcast, been to the conferences, uh, or for the guys like, yeah, I'm looking forward to men 2023. Uh, legacy conference, can't wait. Uh, but man, you talk about counseling i think i'm i think i'm good but like there are some things i want to work on i do want to become a better person uh i have some goals but i don't have no clue where to start um and i don't even know where to start on the self-help books because there's like go on amazon and just type in self-help good luck you'll be in there for a long long time um so i love that role and and speaking of books you have written a book as well uh which has a, a fantastic title uh this much i know the space between, did I get that right? The, you got it right? Such an interesting title. And can you tell us kind of where that title comes from? And also I'd love to know your favorite part of that book. What's Ooh. your favorite part? Wow. Good question. Uh, the title comes from, it's a two part. The first part of the book tells my story because this much I know, I know my story and all of us have a story. And that is the one thing no one can ever take from us. So this much I know is our story. The space between talks about the healing journey God took me on to deal with all the woundedness and all the brokenness and all the grief, because there's a lot of loss in my story and, and, and the process he worked in me to heal all that. And, and it, it talks a lot about walking stick retreats, which is the retreat organization uh, that I am part of the retreat community that I'm part of. That is where that's what God chose to use to speak to me in language I understand, um, to show me that I'm lovable. That's what happened that first year was that I'm lovable. That one of the staff members has since told me she she kind of looked at that first me in that first year as kind of like throwing a Hail Mary pass. Could God love me and could his kids love me? And I went, I said earlier, I went into that retreat saying that um, I was the holy exception. There's nothing magical about retreat. I'm very serious and specific about saying that the staff gets out of the way and lets the Holy Spirit do his job. That is what happens in that retreat. No one knows what's going to happen every year. That's just what happens. God does his, God shows up because people, we get out of his way. And I left that first retreat two and a half days later saying for the first time and starting to believe that 
Jesus Christ loves me. Not only loves me, he likes me because there's a really big difference there. And that he's absolutely crazy about me. And that started that springboard. So the second half of the, of the book talks about the healing journey, about owning my story, grieving my story, you know, finding my value in God. Um, so that's kind of what the book talks about. Um, my favorite part. That is a really hard question. I have the book right here and I'm going to flip through trying to think through. Um, probably one of the things I value when I got to tell when, when Ed Highland, who's my dean of students at college, came out it ended up finding, finding out. He was the first person I told. And writing that chapter was powerful for me. Um, I have had the privilege of telling him face to face the influence his life, his actions had on me. Um, I was thankful our local NBC station did a story on me a, a week ago. And again, getting this chance to send that to him. And so I think one of my favorite parts is just being able to um, chronicle the effect, the powerful impact of relationship. It's woven throughout there with Ed with Amy, my grad, my grad school supervisor, with the retreat people, the powerful effect of relationship and what God can do when we risk and dare to believe that we matter enough to let somebody else in. I think that's my favorite tapestry of the book is weaving that all out through a lot of different examples. I love that. And that's part of the emphasis of, of the group you're a part of on Facebook, the Grace Story Community Group, um, which I, I love being a part of it. Uh, I'll have you yeah. talk about it, too. I mean, because you, you're in there, you're busy as well. Um, the, I, I think if people aren't a part of that and you want to get to know Sue a little bit better, that's one avenue. You can go on Facebook, uh, just type in Grace Story, all one word, Grace Story Community. There's a few questions because we do uh, want to protect that community. And so you'll put that in. Um, then you can join. You can find Sue in there. There's all sorts of other people on their journeys of restoration. So that's one place we can find Sue. Uh, can you tell us some other places we can find out more about you, more about your book, your ministry, the retreat? Uh, where do we go for that? Yeah, well, first for the retreat, the retreat is walkingstickretreats.org. And um, I don't know when this is going to come out. Our next one is in the last weekend of April. Registration will be open here for a couple more weeks. But we do it twice a year. And that is open to everybody. We want new people to come, please. We were all strangers that first year. And, and every year we have new people. Every, every time we do it, we have new people. And, and we love that. That's like having new family members. And it's a privilege to have those people walk with us and for them to allow us to walk with them. So walkingstickretreats.org, uh, that's, I, I cannot speak highly enough about it. Um, where you can find me is suebowls.com is, is my main website. I am developing another one called mystepahead.com. That's going to be more of just a resource area. There's not a lot on there just yet. Uh, and all the socials, you know, my, the business name is my step ahead. And just to, to, Explain that real quick. It came up, I mentioned earlier for, about Billy and him saying step by step. The other part of that came out from a teaching at church when I was first changing churches. They were talking about growth. And the pastor said, what does it take to help somebody? Because we all think we have to have it all together before we have something to give. And that is a big lie from the enemy who wants to keep us sidelined. All it takes is you only have to be a step ahead. 
So the concept is while I'm still reaching out for support and help as I walk my journey, I can reach back and help other people with what I've walked through. And together we form a human chain of support. So that's what my step ahead is about, is you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. You have value right now. Your life experience matters and your life can help somebody else right now while you are still figuring it out. So that's that's behind that. So having said that, social is my step ahead on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And then there's also Sue Bowles coaching on Facebook as well. Uh, you know, the book I'm on LinkedIn and the books on Amazon and Kindle. So um, but your best bet, go to SueBowles.com and then everything else will be there. And we'll have those links in the show notes. What, what you just laid out there, the concept, um, very biblical concept. I believe it was Paul who said, follow after me as I follow after him, implying, yes. hey, I'm Paul. I'm still on a journey, but uh, j- jump in line and, and let me hold your hand as we do this journey together. Right. I love it. Uh, so here as we come to the end, we've talked about a lot here. Um But I want to go back to uh, and give you an opportunity to speak directly to the listener. After thinking about that phrase you said, nagging optimism, just that 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 small, still nagging optimism, which it sounds a lot like hope. Um, And you're a hope coach. And you're one that can speak to those uh, on a a wide range of issues that you have personally experienced. We've talked about family issues, family dysfunction. We've talked about grief. We've talked about suicidal ideation. We've talked about eating disorders. We've talked about sexual assault. We've talked about rape. We've talked about family members that have gone to prison. As someone who's gone through all that and... uh, all that with the nagging optimism, that hope, and being a hope coach. Speaking directly to the listener after this episode, if there's something you'd want to leave them with, some thought, some action item, whatever it may be, what would that be from Sue? And, and when when you read back that litany, I, I know it feels heavy. And, and none of those topics are light. What I would say to the listener is simply there is hope. God cares about you to the point that he will bring people into your life to speak to you in a language that only you will understand so that he knows that you will hear him. He also loves you enough to let you make your own decision. And that's where we get hung up. Because like right, like uh, Nate said before, try to manage it. I got it managed. I got this under control you don't because if you did it wouldn't keep coming back up to the degree it does so I what I would say is there is hope and that hope that springboard hope starts with not lying to ourselves and not wearing that mask and not trying to make ourselves and others believe we're someone that we're not there is nothing wrong with being broken we all have wounds difference between a wound and a scar is that a wound is still bleeding and we might try to put a band-aid on it but it's still susceptible to infection because it's not getting the proper treatment it needs and until you pull that band-aid off until you decide that you can't manage that yourself anymore and you're gonna let somebody else take a look at it that's when the healing starts that's when that wound will heal to become a scar which becomes a story of hope for somebody else. 
I have been wounded. I have been beat up. I have wanted to die. And I am here to tell you that when I finally tore off my scabs and my band-aids, because I just kept piling one band-aid after another after another on top, and I had gangrene underneath in my heart. When I finally got to the point that I was willing to do whatever it took, that's when they became stars. That's when my story of hope started blossoming. And now you see what God is allowing me to do. He wants to do the same thing in you. I am no more special than you. The only difference is I, is I have I tore off the bandage and I let somebody in to start the healing. And I challenge you to do the same. The only difference is you're just one step ahead. And uh, that's what your life exactly. is all about. Exactly. Sue, thank you so much for coming on Grace Story uh, Podcast, coming on the show, sharing your story, being vulnerable. And thank you what you do through your coaching uh, and those that you're, you're helping on their journey of restoration. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nate. And thank you to the listener for joining us once again. Um, man, a lot there. Again, if you want to reach out to Sue, uh, you can check the show notes or go over to Grace Story Community on Facebook. Join that. She's in there. Uh, she's one that loves to interact with people. She has a heart for those that are hurting um, and a heart for just people in general. She loves to interact with, with everybody. So uh, connect with her there. We will be back in two weeks, back in your podcast feed with another episode like I say every time, there is no us without you. So head on over to GraceStoryMinistries.com. Get your registration squared away for conference coming up in November. Join that community group. Uh, listen in two weeks for another episode. We'll be right there with you, and we'll see you in two weeks.